is from Galatians chapter 1 through to the end of the chapter. Galatians 1 verse 11, sorry, through to the end. Paul called by God. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that, that I might preach him among the Gentiles, my immediate response was not to consult any human being. I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went into Arabia. Later, I returned to Damascus. Then, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas and stayed with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that what I am writing you is no lie. Then I went to Syria and Cilicia. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Jesus Christ. They only heard the report, the man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praised God because of me. Thank you, Claire. Good morning, everyone. Lovely to be here and worship this morning. With those uh, wonderful carols, are good songs, aren't they? You know, I'm hearing uh, more and more in our community uh, some comments, uh, not just from young people, mind you, surprisingly from people who I thought have lived long enough to know better, but um, there's some commentary on Christmas carols being like these church songs. We don't want these church songs, we want Christmas carols. And I've been hearing it a lot lately. It's quite interesting as we sort of prepare for different carol services. So just keep that in mind, you know. For, for many of us, um, we grew up in church, and we love church, and, and, and it's an enormous blessing and privilege. But often we, we, we always need to keep in touch with what our world, the society we're living in, our community, uh, are hearing, are understanding, uh, what it is they're thinking, and, uh, and find ways not to react, uh, certainly not to react and not to, to get offended. Like, that's the last thing we need to be doing. Um, but looking at ways to sort of encourage people. But I just thought that was interesting with, with carols, you know, like, um, and I was trying to think, I was trying to make a list, maybe I could challenge, put the challenge out there, make a list of songs that aren't church songs that are carols. Um, there's probably three, but anyway, um, yeah, it's interesting. But let's pray for our community as well and for your neighbours, you know, don't just assume everyone knows it's Christmas, it's about Jesus. Um, we've lived for years now, haven't we? Being told it's about a whole lot of other things. So let me encourage you in that well, uh, thinking about our world and our community, I'm going to generalise now, as I often do, and thanks for those that like to pull me up on that um, after services. And now, when you're saying this, I don't, did you really mean... Okay, so I'm generalising again now. Um, but our world, in our part of the world at least, offers us an enormous amount of opportunities to change, right? To change ourselves. Um, if you just browse the internet, um, or if you get the internet browsing you, which seems to happen these days... Um, 
You'll see ads and notices and magazine covers and uh, all the news agents and, and, you know, news agencies, those sorts of things. You'll see a whole lot of offers um, to bring about transformation in your life, to be dissatisfied with where you're at at the moment and to look for some other sort of change that you need and, and then provide a pathway or a solution for you to achieve those needs. Um, maybe it's about having a better marriage. Um, maybe it's about ways to be better parents. What about being a better you? Lose weight, uh, be happy, gain muscle. And how about this one at this time of year? Lose the dad bod, uh, if that's such a thing. And, uh, and then try and build up a, a beach bod, as I, I saw once. What about not just ourselves? What about even our lifestyle or where we live? You know, how to improve those sorts of things, like um, transforming and renovating our homes. Or even this one now, it seems to be this new call to make sure you manage and transform uh, your image, how you'd like others to see you in social media and so forth. The list goes on. Well, as Christian people, one of the great freedoms we have is that uh, God's given us the freedom, actually, to change the freedom to be transformed. And so I want, to, I want to tease this out a little bit this morning from our passage, uh, because for so many of us, and especially sometimes particularly or especially Christians, we too, despite God wanting to change and transform us, um, we can get stuck, sort of stuck in a rut. Um, we can feel like that there's no chance or no hope of change. Every time I try, it just doesn't seem to work. Maybe there's past failures that, that hold us back. You know, we've been down this path before and these past failures continue to define us. Um, what about our past efforts? You know, that we, we know that, yeah, that we've, we've put in this amount of energy and we think, well, it doesn't matter. I was putting in my most amount of energy into this and I still didn't achieve what I wanted to. We get discouraged. Uh, our potential is limited. Um, perhaps it's past fears that haunt us. You know, mistakes we've made, things that have happened to us where we don't want to dare tread or go again. And so these things haunt us and they threaten to continuously and endlessly haunt us and remind us, well, what about past relationships? It can be family members, it can be neighbours, friends, um, relationships that, that seem to stifle us and, and trap us and maybe restrict us. You know, even perhaps the greatest battles in our own minds, our own minds can tell us that trying to change is futile, that there's no point trying to change because it's just too hard. And I, I suspect that that's probably where we're at at the moment um, in our community to some extent. And, and, and the world's response to that, this idea that you, know, you are who you are, you can't change despite what you do, there's nothing you can do about it. The world's advice now, we seem to be embracing this idea that that's okay, that, that you don't need to change. You know, the, the answer goes like this, well, don't change. Don't bother pursuing transformation and becoming a better person. Uh, you will be who you are. That is who you are, and you need to celebrate that. You need to embrace it. Don't dare let anyone tell you that you should be changing or that you need to change and be transformed in the first place. Uh, one of the classic songs getting around today, and I love the song. In fact, I heard myself singing it um, the other day. I don't know why, but anyway. The song's called This Is Me, right? You know, from the movie The Greatest Showman? Um, You'll know it if you've heard it. I'm not going to sing it, but I will quote some words to you for it, from it. It's all about this kind of response to, the, to this pressure to change and be transformed. I am brave. I am bruised. I am who I'm meant to be. This is me. Look out, because here I come, and I'm marching on to the beat I drum. I'm not scared to be seen. Make no apologies. 
this is me. Now, of course, this actually does have some merit. In one sense, like it's kind of a pushback, isn't it, on these unrealistic uh, expectations and ideals of what others around us might like to think we should be. And you hear that story a lot today. You know, stop telling me what I should be, I'm just going to be me, and you just have to suck it up and put up with me being me, flaws and all. This song is kind of sung as like this defiant uh, resistance to any kind of change whatsoever. Well, for us as Christian people, when we came to faith in Christ, we have begun a journey all about change, all about transformation. And we've been given the freedom to be able to do this. In Christ, we are free to be transformed. That's what we are. We're free to be transformed entirely. The difference is, what is it or who is it are we going to be transformed into? Because the good news about Jesus is this. Despite our failures, despite our frailties, despite our flaws and our insecurities, despite our misguided passions... God sent Jesus to save us not only from his judgment on sin, but part of that is to save us from ourselves, to forgive our sins, to restore us to the people that he originally created us to be, that he knows who we are, that he has uh, desired for us to be as image bearers of him, as, as God himself. And so the Christian life, you know, when we come to faith in Christ, it actually necessitates change and transformation. Because we're born into a condition that, that requires it. And standing at this position that we have, this condition that we suffer from, our standing before God um, falls terribly short of what he desires for us. And, and there's nothing we can do about that. I know there's some popular theories saying that that's uh, just not the case. Uh, Premier Dan Andrews came out very boldly against the Catholic Church, brave man, um, to say that this idea that we're broken, frail, sinful people is just preposterous in our modern age. And uh, we need to ban people and make it illegal um, to, to ban people from actually calling or thinking that about others in, in the first place. Well, I think anyone who's lived more than three or four years of age can pretty quickly figure out there's something wrong with this world and the problem starts with a lot of us, right? Now, if we're honest, uh, I know I'm far from perfect and I wasn't born perfect and it's been a lifelong struggle to find out who I am and why God's got me here and if, and if there is a God and all those sorts of things. You see, we certainly come to God as we are. We come to God as broken, as people who are flawed and as people who are going to be humble and honest about that. But God, and God loves us. We, we experience his embrace. But he loves us too much and he loves us um, more, even more so that he... He doesn't want to leave us there. He wants us to be transformed and he promises the freedom and the power to be able to do that. Well, this morning, our reading from Galatians, we see no greater example of this kind of freedom to be transformed than in the testimony, the life story of the Apostle Paul. Um, He was once a former Jewish rabbi uh, with the name of Saul and he prided himself on what he believed to be the best version of himself that he could be. He was a passionately zealous uh, Hebrew man. He was driven uh, beyond imagination, really, when you actually do a little bit of study on his life, um, he was striving, every ounce of his being was about trying to please God. Um, and to do this by obeying the law and living a perfect life and um, being the best uh, God-man he could be. Until, of course, the day came when he met the resurrected Jesus, God in the flesh. 
And he met him face to face. And this encounter, as we're familiar with from Acts chapter 9, totally changed and transformed him over time into an entirely different person. And one of the things we learn as we hear Paul's heart and his story and him touching on it in our passage this morning is the power that our testimonies, all of us, we have a testimony, a story that we witness to what Christ has done in our lives. And and we have this um, wonderful reminder of the impact that that has on other people the impact and the influence that it has on people around us. And your story and my story and Paul's story are certainly going to be very different, um, or they're not going to be as dramatic as Paul's, for example. Very few are. But each one of us, you and I, we have a story, we have a testimony that is powerful nonetheless. And the truth is that more people are actually far more likely to respond with interest, to respond with wanting to hear more, to the gospel message or of the gospel message than they are in our, in our witness to that as, as our testimony than they are about our arguments, about our intellectual reasoning and our debates. Now, some people, absolutely, we need to debate and, and, and we need to have... And Paul did all the time. He was a very intellectual person and, and still today, intellectuals today still debate Paul, the intellect, still trying to figure him out and trying to either approve or disprove. Um, so there's a place for that. But the majority of people... They're going to be impacted by the gospel. They're going to see it, it, its effects in our lives. They're going to see our testimony. They're going to hear our testimony and see the difference first. And that's what's going to endear them to it or put them off it uh, more than our intellectual arguments and debates. People cannot ignore your story, especially today. And the way uh, for us as Christians is we have a story where Jesus has changed us. He's affected our lives. Listen to what Paul writes in another part of his letters in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. You'll be familiar with this passage. It's in your Bible. It's not on the screen. If anyone is in Christ, they are what? A new creation. The old is gone and the new is here. Uh, even in our passage in Galatians uh, chapter 1, Paul begins telling us his testimony of how he knew this in himself to be absolutely true. Um, just recap from verses 11 to 15 of chapter 1 in Galatians, he says, Dear brothers and sisters, I want you to understand that the gospel message I preached is not based on mere human reasoning. I received my message from no human source and no one taught me. Instead, I received it directly from Jesus Christ. He continues, You know what I was like when I followed the Jewish religion, how I violently persecuted God's church. I did my best to destroy it. I was far ahead of my fellow Jews in terms of my zeal for my traditions, my ancestors. But even before I was born, God chose me and called me by his marvellous grace. What a wonderful testimony. Well, why is Paul so eager to write about this transformation from a Jewish rabbi into the Apostle Paul? Well, we did touch on it last Sunday. And just to recap, if you're here, you'll remember... Uh, right at this point, Paul's authority uh, to be able to speak into church life in the Galatian region, the, re- the region of Galatia, is under threat. It's being challenged. Uh, a whole lot of um, people similar to him, actually, passionate, zealous uh, Hebrew men, and they were men, uh, and, and has been beginning, had begun teaching something different about the Christian faith. They had accepted that Jesus was Messiah, that he was their king, so they, they too, like Paul, had come to faith in Jesus. But now they were going back to their Jewish traditions and rituals and religion and they were saying, no, 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 if all people can now come to faith in Christ, you still need to be like us, 
You still need to be keeping all the rules. You still need to look like us and speak like us and, 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 and go through all the symbols and so on and so forth. And so this, this horrible, um, what's called, and Paul curses it, he says it's, it's an anathema, this false teaching, this false gospel, it's no good news at all. Um, it's legalism, it's putting chains back on the freedom that we have in Christ, that all people have in Christ, religious and non-religious, um, and Paul have none of it. And so Paul now has to defend um, his, his authority. They're challenging his claims to be an apostle in the first place. That's what you do if you want to challenge someone's authority, you go for their credentials. You go, well, who's this guy anyway? They had good reason for this because Paul had come to faith. He was the last of the apostles to come to faith, as he mentions here and elsewhere. Um, all the other apostles were well known that they were good friends. They're the 12, 11 disciples um, and Matthias the 12th, uh, who, who knew Jesus personally, who had lived with him. And they had seen him and witnessed him both before his life and after his death and, and after his resurrection. And Paul, hadn't, he'd been around at the time, but he certainly wasn't following Jesus at the time. So they were um, questioning his credentials. And Paul emphasises that the gospel he's preaching did not come from men. He's trying to say to them, he's saying, it's not like I just copied these guys. It's not like I just picked it up uh, from some other teaching and I'm just blending my own thing here. This is something I received directly from God himself, directly from the resurrected Jesus. You can see why he's doing this, can't you? Because at the time, there was no such thing as a new apostle. The apostles already back then were already established as these guys are unique. They're capital A apostles, and there has never been any since like them. Because they are the ones that witnessed and lived with Jesus firsthand, saw him. He was taught, they were taught directly by him. So Paul comes in afterwards, and everyone's going, hang on a minute, there's no new apostles. Uh, what's that about? So Paul has to really defend this, and his defence is to say, I didn't get it from people, this is Jesus himself, he appeared to me too. Of course, he recounts that miraculous um, incident. So Paul's conversion story, Paul's testimony, his story of grace in how he came to faith in Jesus as his king is, is dramatic, and it's, and it's amazing, and even though there's this element of having to defend it and justify it... Um, and his conversion story is actually quite unique. Don't think for a minute, if you don't have one like Paul's, or you don't have one like someone else that you've read about or you've heard about, we often we do a terrible disservice to ourselves as Christians. We put so many people, we, turn, we do the same thing. We're humans, right? We turn great stories of, of transformation and conversion, um, we turn these people into celebrities, you know? And, and we, we put them on pedestals, and yeah, they've got great stories, and God uses them, but what it can create is this sense of, well, I, what story is mine? You know, I didn't really have a fancy story. So Paul's story is quite unique. It's a specific story. That's why it's in the Scriptures. And it's not to just be used willy-nilly by anyone to suddenly claim that Jesus spoke to them in the middle of the night or on the road somewhere and somehow now they too are capital A apostles. Paul's changed by God, and that, by the way, is a consistent belief and practice for 2,000 years. God, God has testified to that. Paul was changed by God, basically from being a terrorist <laughs> into being a passionate preacher of the gospel. I don't know if you can try and imagine that for one moment. Let's just use our imaginations. Think about the scope. I'm going to use a dramatic story. Think about the scope of change that Paul's, um, that Paul's life was, his conversion story. It's nothing short of miraculous. Well, we too also have a, a need of grace. Every single one of us, just like Paul, need what Paul had. God looked upon him, saw his zeal, misguided as it was, and chose him 
to be the one that brings the gospel uh, to a world, a very different world, to his world. His testimony is the example of a person running headlong in one direction and then turning around into another one. He wasn't just a hopeless rat bag who didn't know he'd have any life direction. He's floundering around and he found meaning and purpose in Jesus, as many of us can testify to. This was a guy that was already there in his mind. He was already absolutely zealous for God. He was living a perfect life. He was passionate, proving his zeal and his perfection in what he was doing. The word there, persecuted, by the way, uh, for Paul, what he did was uh, force people into silence. That's what he did. He was silencing the church, silencing the other apostles and their proclamation of Jesus. And even those who didn't know Paul directly knew of his reputation. Uh, in one passage it says he bre- was breathing murderous threats. That's the sort of guy he was. So let's, let, let's, let's think of it this way. Let's use our imaginations. Let's imagine Osama bin Laden was alive. We can talk about him now because he's dead. Um, let's say he's alive and he's not living. Let's say he's still wreaking havoc through acts of terrorism against people of other religions. Then one day something incredible happens to him in the cave somewhere in the desert. He has a vision of the resurrected Jesus. Not impossible, by the way, but he didn't. Let's imagine it. And, and he disappears. He, the terrorism seems to stop and no one really sort of hears from him anymore. For several years, in fact. After a few years have passed, we get this global news report that says the former terrorist Osama bin Laden would like you uh, would like to come to your church and share his incredible testimony of miraculous transformation in a cave in the desert. And you can find this number to make bookings. Think about it. This man, once fervent and fanatic for the religion of Islam, someone who took countless thousands of lives, not only on, uh, on the soil in the west, western soil, but even more tragic in his own country, now wants to come and preach to you about Jesus. How do we respond to that? We'd be terrified, wouldn't we? At worst, we'd be utterly terrified or we'd be highly sceptical at best. Well, that's the same kind of reluctance that people felt about Paul. They knew him as Saul, this fire-breathing, Jewish-hating rabbi. Uh, and he didn't directly, we don't believe he directly killed anyone uh, by his own hand, but he certainly authorised it. He signed off on it. And uh, he had a strategic plan of raising, of gathering Christians, rounding them up, persecuting them, and having them put to death. He did it proudly, and he did it zealously. And he believed he was doing the right thing all the way along. Believed he was honouring God and serving him. But now as an apostle of Christ Jesus, you know, people aren't just going to forget that, are they? They're not going to forget that easily of what he once was. And think about Paul, he would struggle forgetting that too, wouldn't he? He would always know who he once was. I hope you take some encouragement from this this morning as God's people because for some of us, we too can struggle to let go of who we once were before we came to faith in Christ. And you may have testified to this and heard it said and you may understand it yourself. The deeper our sin, the furthest away from God that we might have once been, the greater our gratitude is and our appreciation of his grace is. Isn't that, isn't that the case? We know of how much we've actually needed God's grace, that we've needed his forgiveness. Jesus said it uh, of a widow in Luke chapter 7, verse 47. He said, he who is forgiven much loves much. And Paul was someone who was forgiven enormously. He needed grace and he found that grace was freely given in Jesus. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verses 9 to 10, he says, for I'm the least of the apostles, I do not even deserve to be called an apostle, 
because I persecuted the church of God. See how he keeps recalling who he once was? But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Isn't that just a wonderful encapsulation of a perfect testimony? I once was this, but God's grace changed me into that. I'm still mindful of that, but I, and I still work passionately and fervently to serve God, but now I do so in response to God's grace to me. I'm not trying to get God's grace. I'm not trying to earn God's favour. I'm responding uh, to God's grace that's in me. You see, it's God who gifted Paul his grace. Verse 15 of Galatians chapter 1, but even before I was born, God chose me and he called me by his marvellous grace. And he revealed his son to me. I think it's the next slide uh, from memory. You see, when God calls us, it's not like you and I calling. Think about, uh, think about your authority as someone uh, to call others to do something. I was thinking about this as a, uh, oh, I won't, I won't make it about me. Think about the dinner table in someone else's house. Dinner's ready, right? It's been served. And we call to the family to come to the table. You know, you, you can imagine this in someone else's house. Uh, it's dinner time, you've got to come to the table. And we, we get a response, yeah, in just a minute. And literally just a minute passes by. In fact, literally about 10 minutes pass by and uh, still no one's appeared at the table. You see, we've got this kind of option. We don't need to respond to that kind of calling. Uh, maybe you're on the phone, you call someone you need to talk to and uh, you get put on hold and you get to listen to music and you kind of go, oh, well, um, yep, I've called and okay, I'll just wait here uh, for them to come in their time. You see, when God calls us, it's completely different. When God calls us, and you'll know, and you'll be able to testify to this, there's no just a minute, uh, there's no just hold the line for a second. Um, his calling stops you in his tracks, in your tracks, isn't it? it? It pulls you up. It might be a quiet moment, it might be a dramatic moment, but the call and the act of calling are simultaneous. They, they have the same effect. And we have this strength as a result of the call to respond right in that moment, and to carry out what it is that God is calling us to, what it is he wants us to become, who it is he wants us to become, and what it is um, he wants for us to do. And this is all about the gift of his grace. What stopped Saul, the angry and violent rabbi, in his tracks was a vision of the resurrected Christ. And because of that encounter, Saul came away a new person. And with a new mission, a new direction in life, he was transformed. As a question as we uh, reflect on this, what it means for us this morning, a few questions to ponder. I wonder um, how your life, how my life has been changed by the grace of God. This is an opportunity to think about that. Can you testify to his grace? And to what extent can you testify to his grace in your life? Or maybe um, you're still someone, you've been in church for a while or whatever, and you're still someone who's wrestling with and struggling with this idea that I'm doing something that pleases God. My, li my good life is what pleases God. My, my moral up, upright living, my efforts at doing the right thing, at, at pleasing or impressing or placating God, these are the things at the moment that I kind of struggle with and I think I've done enough or I don't think I've done enough and I'm still trying. You see, gospel-driven change is what we're talking about this morning. It's the gospel that drives and compels and changes us, not just change for the sake of change, not because others want us to change, but what does the gospel call us to? What does God call us to through his gospel? And there's just a few things uh, I want to draw out this morning. I trust an encouragement to you. The first one is this. 
when we wrestle with God, and it will be a wrestle, when we wrestle with God, God always wins. That's what's basically being said here. When Paul says, you know, <laughs> I don't know what happened, but somehow God called me and, and he won. And it's because of God's grace that I have changed, that I've become different. That's because Paul's been wrestling. And when you wrestle with God, God will win. That's why, you know, the worst state to be is not actually someone who's an atheist who's walking away and still struggling and wrestling. It's actually someone who doesn't care anymore, who's indifferent. That's a far dangerous, a more, more dangerous place, an unhealthy place to be. Because at least when we're wrestling, you know that God is going to eventually win. You see, um, just like Paul, before he met Jesus, maybe you're someone who's been fighting against God. Maybe his existence and the sort of character that uh, churches and teachers and the Bible seem to reveal about God um, bother you. They concern you. You think, that can't be. I don't want a God like that. That's not the sort of... I don't like what I hear about this God and who he says he is. Um, Perhaps Christian people, those that claim to follow him, really annoy you and frustrate you. Uh, and there's plenty of that. We ask for forgiveness all the time and we need to. Maybe you've given up on the idea altogether. You've heard and you go, okay, maybe God is good and I, I accept that, but I don't see it in, in the life of his people. I've been hurt by Christians. I, I hear of things. There's another story about a so-called Christian this week, a horrific, a horrific thing that happened in, in Queensland that they're still working through. If you haven't seen the news, don't worry about it. But the media are having a field day with it. You know, maybe you're someone like that, and you look at that and you think, oh, that's just, no, nah, I don't want a thing to do with it. Well, keep wrestling. Keep wrestling. If you're someone who feels empty or you feel alone, keep wrestling with that. Keep wrestling with it. Keep fighting. Keep asking. Keep seeking. Keep processing. Keep pushing back because ultimately God will win you over. He's irresistible and he wants to. It's his, desire, his heart's desire is that all people would come to know him. Secondly, when we lose that battle, <laughs> new life begins. Um, for me personally, my life began, and we've all got different battles and so on, my transformation began uh, when I finally surrendered to, to God's grace and, and uh, I read a book, uh, it was long after I'd actually come to faith, so I believe I was a Christian by, um, you know, I think you're a Christian when you, it's simple faith, right, just a declaration, Jesus is Lord and he's forgiven me of my sins and in him I have eternal life. Thank you, Lord, for the cross. I'd done that since a young person, but what really transformed me was an encounter um, with understanding his grace for the first time. I'd read a book, it's called What's So Amazing, sorry, no, it was actually called Putting Amazing Back Into Grace, a great book. I found out the author was 16 years later, I thought he was like 60, like a really mature, godly guy, but, and he is, he's a very mature, godly man, but he's just a genius and had written this book at 16. But I'd surrendered to God's grace, and, and at that point, you know, I'd been trying and striving, and couldn't get it right, and just think, this is just futile, I've got to live with myself. I know I had dark moth. And then people trying to say, oh, you've just got to look deeper into yourself. You've just got to come to terms with who you are and you've got to, you know, analyse and reflect and look deeply into you. I just think, I'm, I'm not going in there. It's as dark as dark. It gets lower and lower and deeper and deeper. That's, I really struggled with that. I, that was not a solution for me. And finally, that was the struggle. It was like, I'm, I'm resisting. I don't want to look within. And finally, I realised, hey, I don't need to. <laughs> it's what God's done for me. It's his grace that transforms within. And I need to look at him, take my eyes off myself and look at Jesus. Look at the resurrected Jesus, the one who gives, gives me grace. I realise I literally have no hope in life outside of that. Um, the other thing I did too, I was someone who actually thought, you know, I loved life and, I just, and there were so many things I wanted to do in life and, and still probably do, but less and less. Um, 
but uh, you know, you, you, you just love and embrace life. And I used to think, you cannot tell me that this is all there is, that when you die, you die, that's it, you go back to dust or some ashes scattered on a garden. Like, surely not. There has to be a, another life. You know, there has, to life, there has to be eternal life. And that, that's what drove me as well, that struggle, that wrestle. That wrestle and God said, yeah, there is eternal life. I've created you an eternal being. In fact, the reason why I had that struggle in the first place is precisely because I am created in the image of an eternal God. It goes for all of us. But I realised, despite, despite my loving Christian upbringing, of being involved in churches since I can, early as I can remember, it wasn't that that actually changes and transforms me, as important as it is. It's God's grace that transforms me. Well, that was my battle. What was yours? And what is yours? Thirdly, when new life begins, a testimony is born. Just a few quick things about your testimony. I know some of us come from traditions where testimony was really important and, and we, we're probably, to our own detriment, we don't, you know, we're not as kind of big on testimonies necessarily, but they are really important. I think it's important when we're together to hear from God's word, um, but our testimonies are something that we can use as we engage with people. And God works through them. Um, they're not a sermon, they're different to preaching, so don't make your testimony a sermon. Uh, make it something that just, it is what it is. It's you talking and communicating and expressing what God has done in your life. Um, it needn't be complicated or confusing or complex. Did you hear a little bit earlier from Angeline's story uh, through compassion? I know some of you may not have understood it. We sometimes have, have captions up there. Um, but her story was, was a really simple one. She realised, discovered that she's living in a family of drug dealers, like her brother was a drug dealer and she... And she, and she was sad about that and she came to the honest realisation about that. And remember, we talked to people openly, yeah, hey, my brother's a drug dealer, you know, I don't like being in this environment. And she was led uh, to Christ, to, to the gospel, to the peace that came into her life. The last thing people need is to have um, someone trying to prove or win them over. You know, we, we can pick an agenda a mile off today because we're sold stuff all the time, right? You can pick an agenda off a mile off. And you can see when someone's trying to convince you of something. Just share your story. Share what's happened in your life. Show people what God has done, the change he's been. It needn't be an argument. It needn't be long. Keep it brief and to the point. Um, we've done this before as a church, as an exercise. It's worth doing if you, if you want to do it again. Just sit down and not rehearse it, but kind of condense it down. Just make it simple and think, right, what, can I, what could I communicate if someone asked me in two or three minutes? Um, brief and to the point. We get overwhelmed with details and information today and people just zone out. Make it clear and to the point. You're not, you're not zoning out, are you? No? That's good, okay. We'll keep going. Lastly, can I say this? Don't make it about yourself, ironically. I know it's our story, but it's got to point to God, right? It has to be about God and not about us. Listen to what Paul, the way Paul said it in verses 23 to 24, that last little bit there, he talked about, you know, I didn't go around and, I didn't go around and make, he did, what he's saying is, I didn't go to all the other apostles and go, hey, I'm an apostle too, everyone needs to listen to me. He just got on and did what God called him to do. And then he learned that people's reputation or understanding of him was starting to change. They go, oh, that was Paul who used to, Saul who used to be like this. He's now Paul and this is what he is. He's a proclaimer of the gospel. And what's that last little bit say? Um, it's not up on the screen. It's in your Bible. Someone with their Bible open. The last line in verse 24. And they praise God because of me. That's what Paul says. That's what our testimony needs to be. It's not about us. It's about God. 
People aren't coming to church uh, just to decide to become Christians. They come to church usually and they realise they've come to faith, they've received God's grace and they go, wow, I need to be encouraged and I've got this whole new family. Okay, so share our story. That's our work to do um, in the community, in our lives. Um, the people we connect with and share our story to are already in our lives. Um, we go to where they are. You, you already go to their school. You're in their workplace. You play sport with them. Um, you're related to them, you know. These are people in your life. Share your story. Well, the last point, the fourth point, is when transformation does come in your life in response to God's grace, change is not always quick, but it is real and it is long-lasting. You know, one of the things that um, I often found interesting with the, with the Bible is because it's so concise and over such a long period of time, and particularly with Paul, we think, wow, his conversion was enormous and his transformation was remarkable and miraculous, and then he went on to this great ministry. Just did you hear how many years were in between the different things that he did? Like, before he even visited Jerusalem, again, church in Jerusalem, it was 14 years after his conversion on the road to Damascus. It was at least three years before he even bumped into another apostle. Like, that's the time God does his most work in obscurity. It's, it's, it's kind of when we're, we're, we're sitting there with God and we're often we're sort of maybe all at sea or just kind of wondering, wow, what's, what's, what does all this mean? I've got to change and the, yeah, patterns of thinking need to, our behaviours, they need to be unlearned, they need to be transformed. That takes time. Be gracious to one another. I, I've, that's the message to me. Be gracious to one another as we allow God to change us by grace. It takes time. Paul had to rethink his whole life. He went on to write, write about it, didn't he? Be transformed by the renewing of your minds. You know, it's, this, it's, a, it's a process. It takes time. Well, God's gift of grace is given so that we're free to be transformed and to be transformed more and more into the image and likeness of Jesus. We come to a special time at the end of our service um, this morning. We're going to gather around the Lord's table. And as we know, this is something familiar to um, perhaps all of us. Uh, if not, it's something that we do together as a church uh, because Jesus called us to do it. Uh, he modelled it on the first night before uh, he was led away to be crucified um, when he was betrayed into the hands of his enemies, all part of God's plan. And he went and gave up his life on the cross uh, for our sins.